but uh, awesome. Privileged to be here with you, and uh, as Kate said, I've been coming here for a little while now, a couple of months, and it's been great to get to know you all. Uh, if you haven't met me and I haven't met you, please come up and say g'day to me uh, tonight. I'd love to get to know you, but uh, I've really enjoyed my time here already. All right, why don't we get straight straight into it? I've really enjoyed this um, series we've done on Colossians. And I'm going to share just a quick recap of what's taken place. And I'm going to share a testimony of my life about basically the situation of what's taken place in Colossians and what Paul says in the final chapter and how I applied it to my life. But what do we know about Colossians? It was written by Paul the Apostle when he was in prison for his faith, for telling people about Christ. Paul was writing to the church of Colossae, to the believers that he had never, ever met before. He wrote to encourage them not to lose their faith in Jesus Christ, the Creator and the Redeemer. You see, a culture or a spirit of that particular location started to influence the church. And Paul could see that. You see, we've got this beautiful faith, Jesus Christ, 100% man, 100% God, leaves heaven, comes and dies on the cross for our sin, becomes our saviour, becomes our redeemer, sets us free from sin and death and basically gives us a second chance of a new life. He actually calls us sons and daughters. We, he adopts us into his family. But yet, with all this to take place, there's a culture and an influence in the church of Colossae that Paul could see because they started to influence their faith and what they believed in who Jesus Christ really was. There were teachers that began to water down the gospel, taking away the power and the authority of who Jesus Christ really was. Their practices and rituals of that location were influencing these group of believers. Paul could see this and he writes this letter to point them in one direction and one direction only. Don't lose sight of who Jesus Christ really is. No matter what is going on around you, no matter the culture, no matter the influences, never lose sight that he is 100% God and he's 100% man and he died on the cross for you and me. You see, they had this message, the church in Colossae. The believers had this message, the message of hope for mankind. But this culture tried to stop them from spreading it. This culture tried to take away the power of their message, which was Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? Colossae sounds a little bit like the world that we live in. We're here tonight, if you're a believer and you've asked Christ into your life and become a new creation and you believe he was the son of man and the son of God and he died on the cross for your sin, we have the hope of humanity living within us. But yet we find ourselves smack bang in a world that just does not believe in Jesus. Or if, or if they do, they try to water down who he was. So if anything, Paul is not just writing to this group of believers in Colossae, he's writing to you and me. And over the past month, we've learned all about ways to guard our hearts and, and things to, to keep Jesus where he's supposed to be. But I think about the Colossae that I'm in right now or the Colossae that you're in right now. It might be the university that you go to. You might have went there just to get an education, but yet there's an underlying political agenda or a social agenda that flows through the teaching. 
It could be the workplace that you attend. It could be the family that you're in. Your Colossi could be the, the internet and social media platforms you're on or the music that you listen to that slowly influence you subtly, that tries to water down your faith and who Jesus Christ really is. Paul sees these things. And in chapter 4, after he addresses all these things, he wraps it up and closes with a conclusion. Now, if I were Paul, this is what I would say to the guys in Colossae. Isolate yourself. Shut yourself off from the rest of the world. What you have is gold. Don't ever let that go away. In fact, buy a property in Tasmania. Shift there, put a fence around it, become a community. I have a friend here from Tasmania and I, I said that this morning too, Kush. So. But Paul doesn't do that. You see, these guys, Paul, you've got to understand where Paul was. He was in prison in chains for believing in Jesus Christ, for standing up and preaching the gospel. He was never once in his mind ever wanted to water down who Jesus Christ was because it's Jesus Christ that changed his life. So if I were Paul, I'm not sure I'd have this response because these people are trying to come in and water down the Jesus Christ that he believes in. But these are the words that he says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open the doors of our message, our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, <clears throat> as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards others. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your circumstances, let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. He said, pray. Pray and be thankful. Pray and be watchful. Pray that the message about Jesus is preached. Pray for opportunities. And pray to be ready to share about Jesus Christ. You see, Paul didn't have a problem with the people. He had a problem with the spirit behind them or the culture behind them. And he said, pray for them. Today I want to share a testimony of my life of a two-year period in my life back in high school where I was the only Christian in a school of a 1,000 students and that school was my Colossi. That school didn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, they never even spoke about Jesus and if he ever came up, you'd have people wanting to fight you, there'd be people wanting to talk him down. That was my Colossi. But yet I was this young Christian transformed by what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross and I want to share about that period with you today. The other thing is, the reason why I want to share my testimony is, I want you to get to know me. It's my story. But the other reason is, there's the power of a testimony. The Bible talks about in Revelations chapter 12, verse 11, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Today, as I share my testimony, I just want you to open your hearts there might be things that you can relate with. There might be things that you're going through that, that you uh, might not have anything to do with my story. But put yourself in an atmosphere of faith right now and allow God to plant seeds in your life. I 
I used to live here in Canberra. In fact, I was born in Canberra Hospital. And I grew up and I went to Gowrie Primary School down in Tuggeranong. And back then, that was the Gungarland of Canberra. It was the baby belt. That's where everyone went down to build the new houses. And I was in a brand new school. And I was known at that school as the dirty joke teller. I had jokes to tell. I was in year five. I was about 10 years of age. And if anyone wanted to laugh, they'd come up to me and I'd have the best jokes to tell them. Always dirty. Come up to me afterwards. I'll tell you a few later on, okay, Cam? One of four boys, three brothers, and uh, my father sat me down one night with my mum with him at the table and said, boys, we're moving. There's a sign getting put up on the house and we're relocating to Wollongong. And my dad uh, got offered a job to take over a church in Wollongong and instantly I burst into tears because my identity was in my school and I was known as the dirty joke teller, funny as it is, but that's who I saw myself as. Before we knew it, we... uh, loaded up the car and we're heading to Wollongong as my dad goes to take over this church. And as we were passing the Canberra Hospital where I was born, something came over me and I don't think God spoke to me but this thought just dropped into my head that, Murray, your dad's not just going to Wollongong to pastor a church, you're going there to make an impact for me as well. Hardly knew God, didn't really know much about him. But I thought, okay, I can run with this. I didn't have an identity anymore. I'm starting out at a new school. So at lunchtime, I get all my mates and take them up to the top, top uh, football field and I sit them down and say, guys, you're going to hell. <laughs> One guy's lips started quivering and shaking. He could hardly speak English. He said, what? I said, you're going to hell. Unless you ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to hell. And I'll prove it to you. I've asked Jesus into my life, if I die, get someone to cut me open and I guarantee my heart won't be there to be in heaven with Jesus. And that's the story I was telling everyone. And out of fear, I led about three of my friends to Jesus. I don't know where they are right now. But that was my story in primary school. But I got involved in a youth group and I realised that was way off the mark and I, I, I learnt to... I learned about God and who he really was. But all the way through school, I've got to be honest with you, I hated it. Uh, I've had a dyslexia my whole life. I struggled to read, I struggled to write, to the point where when I was here in Gowrie Primary School, my mum used to have to take me out of school and take me to someone's house and I'd go, they'd teach me things, which I just couldn't, couldn't understand. I, I couldn't pick up and even today I still struggle with reading and writing and the way I prepare my messages, I've got little secrets that I have to highlight the things that I'm going to read aloud in different colours because it just helps my brain and my eyes focus in. So it's been a challenge for me my entire life. So I went through school, I was fighting with mum and dad and then it came to year 10, I was coming to the end of year 10 as the opportunity to drop out and not complete school anymore, maybe get a trade, get a part-time job or do something. I thought, great, this is my way out. And I sat down with my mum and dad one night and said, I'm not going to year 11 and 12, I'm done, I'm finished, I can't handle this anymore. And we had a massive fight that night and they said, son, you are going to school. I remember going down to my room, which is like a basement at the bottom of the house, and I was just so angry and so devastated. And I remember crying out to God and said, God, I can't do this anymore. I was in special English classes. They'd send me to the library. 
with, uh, with, with special needs kids and I was just, I couldn't, I couldn't cope. And I remember falling on my knees and said, God, if I've got to go to year 11 and 12, I'm not going to get an education. I'm not going to do any of my assignments. I'm not going to turn up to class on time. But one thing I will do is I'm going to lead my school to Jesus. That was my prayer to him. I was the only Christian that I knew in the school at the time. And I don't recommend that if you guys ever grow up and have children and uh, just encourage them to get an education. Otherwise, you become a painter like me and it's not good. So I decided the next morning, I picked up my Bible, which was double the size of this. And I had a, a Sony Walkman tape player, which was about the size of this. And I lived on a hill that overlooked my school and I walked to the top of the school. If we don't, we've got the photo there. This is the actual top of the hill where every morning I'd come down and sit at that table. You can kind of just go back to the table there. And I'd open my Bible, couldn't read very well. And I sat there trying to focus and I read a couple of scriptures or a couple of verses and then I got up and I walked over in the next photo, please. I walked over, this is my school, Lake Illawarra High School. If we go to the next one, thanks. And I'd reach my hands out and I'd pray for my school, day in, day out. I was one of the only Christians in that school. God had impacted my life from a young age and moving to Wollongong and I got involved in youth group and I had an encounter with Jesus but yet I'd go to school and I'd begin to look around and this was where I used to sit every day. This was my view. I got these photos off the internet and I'd see the people walk past and i think, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Christ. Not the Christ that I know. Not the Christ that has changed my life, that has given me a second chance at life that adopted me as his son into his kingdom. And my heart began to break. So every morning at six o'clock, I'd get up and I'd go pick up my Bible and I'd sit at that table and I'd try and read and then I'd pray for my school to come to know Christ, my Colossi, my environment where they didn't want anything to know with Jesus, anything to do with Jesus. Then there was this guy called Mark Cotter. It's a photo, please, of the guy with the glasses. I discovered there was this guy in my school that used to be a Christian. Someone told me about him, so I became friends with this guy and I led him back to Christ. He was my first convert, Mark Cotter. Now, things you don't know about Mark Cotter was he came from a really poor community. He grew up in a housing commission house. At the time, he had massive dreadlocks. He was a surfer. He didn't even have a lunchbox. You know, when I don't know if kids take lunchboxes to school anymore. But uh, Mark never had a lunchbox. He had a plastic bag full of about 10 sandwiches. And I'd see him walking across that quadrangle carrying his plastic bag with 10 sandwiches. And I just remember getting, Lord, is this the only other Christian in this school? And we became friends. And Mark began to join me as we go and pray up Mount Warrigal as I sat there at that table and chair and read my Bible and prayed. But things started to happen. After I consistently did that, it, it kind of changed from just becoming an obligation or a habit to, I can't wait to get up the hill. I can't wait to see what I read today. 
things started to become alive in my life like never before. And I didn't even know it existed. I've been to church my whole life. My dad was a pastor, but yet I never truly had a relationship with Jesus Christ until I met with him at that table every morning, six o'clock, as I'd open my Bible and I reached to pray. I had a secret place with him. I began to pray over the school and my world went from being dry to alive. God started to show me things as I pick up the Bible and I started reading books where Joshua takes possession of the promised land. And there's a scripture that says, every place you put your foot, I give to you. And I didn't know what was right or wrong. This is a new thing for me. I thought, well, God, if if you can say that to Joshua about taking possession of the promised land, I'm going to take that scripture as well that you're going to give this school over to me. So I started getting angry and started praying, God, every place I put my foot, you're going to give it over to me. And as I was listening to worship music going up the hill, I started changing it and I started listening to Rocky, the eye of the tiger. And I was gearing, and this is a true story, I was gearing myself up to get up to the top of that hill because I was in a battle. Because all I knew is that Colossi, that school, wasn't going to recognize Jesus until someone fought for it. I recognized it wasn't the people that I was after. It was the spirit or it was the culture that needed to be broken down so they could come to know Christ. God started doing new things in my life. He began to open my world to the Holy Spirit. and I started to get a hunger for the presence of God. So what started at 6 o'clock in the morning at the table started to spread through my whole life. Now, I don't know about you uh, growing up, but four boys, when they come home from school, they would just devour the kitchen. There'd be nothing left. I remember mum would go shopping. There'd be bags of groceries on the table. Literally within half an hour, it's gone. We would just consume it, especially after school, walking home. But what happened with me was, even though I was hungry for food, I started to get hungry for the presence of God more. And it consumed my thoughts. It consumed everything I had. So as soon as I get home from school, the first thing, instead of running to the kitchen, I throw my bag on the floor and I get down in my room and I put some worship music on and I get in his presence. Sometimes for 20 minutes, sometimes for three hours. Sometimes my mom had to call me and say, come on, Murray, enough praying. Honestly, I remember my dad who was a pastor one night. He came down and sat on my bed and said, son, I'm worried about you. You're praying too much. True. You're praying too much. I just got hungry for God. When was the last time you got hungry for God? To be in his presence. To wake up and go to bed or put down your phone, turn off the television, say, God, I'm here. It didn't start straight away, but where it did start was at the table, six o'clock in the morning. God started to to open my world to the spirit. One night we had a Bible study at my house and we lived in a uh, split-story home and my mum's bedroom was, was down below the living area. And one night she came running up the stairs as we're worshiping and her grinding her teeth and her eyes were just bloodshot and she was angry. She used to go, get over here. So I came over and she put a finger on my face. She said, I don't know what girl up here has brought perfume, but she's spilt it all over my brand new carpet. 
And we looked around and everyone was just in worship. No one had any perfume. And the Bible study leader came over and we stopped the meeting and then what we realised was we were worshipping and the presence of God just filled the house and his beautiful fragrance just smelled. Everyone went home. My dad came home at 11 o'clock that night and as soon as he walked in the door, he said, what is that smell? It was the presence and the fragrance of the Holy Spirit. My unsaved brother that lived down the back of the house in, in a granny flat, the next morning came up at 7 o'clock in the morning and said, what is that smell? It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. I remember God began to speak to my heart, not just in through the Bible, but began to speak to my spirit. And there was another youth group that we'd team up with sometimes and go out after our church services. And there was this one young girl in particular that I, I, I really fancied. And I'm pretty sure she fancied me, although we never spoke about it. But one night they organised a car to come and pick me up. And as the car arrived, she opened the door and she's sitting there in the car. She said, come on, we're going out. One part of me is so excited because I like this girl. But then all of a sudden I felt the Holy Spirit just go, no, do not go with this girl. Not that there was anything wrong with her. She was a great girl. She loved God. She studied. She could read. It's good for me. It helped me get through life. But I... I had to say, hey, thanks for the invite, but not tonight. I went home that night and I was in the bathroom of all places. I just went to the bathroom and I was washing my hands. And I said to God, see what I did for you? And he spoke to my spirit and he said these words, I'm proud of you. First time I ever heard him speak to my spirit was in the bathroom. Where did it all begin? It began at a table as I sat down to read my word, as I began to pray for my Colossi. Not much started happening. I did that day in, day out with Mark up at the hill for 18 months. We saw nothing take place. In fact, things got worse. No one wanted to hear anything about Jesus. We gave up trying to talk about him. Until my mate Marco Nunez, if you'd mind putting that uh, photo of the two guys up, that's him in the blue shirt. Now, he didn't look like that when he was in high school, but he was one of my best mates, and believe it or not, he had this huge afro. <laughs> and um, he, uh, I played basketball with him, and he was a soccer player. One day he was playing soccer, and he went to kick the ball, and he hit another guy's leg and, and broke his leg, had a cast on. He was supposed to have a cast on for six weeks and he couldn't move. He was in a lot of pain. And I saw this as the perfect opportunity to talk about Jesus because at lunchtime he sat there and he couldn't get up and go. So I thought I'm going to sit here right now and I'm not going to leave him alone until he hears what i got to say about Jesus. I did that for about two weeks and I think he just got so fed up with it. He said, all right, fine, I'll go to your youth group. I took him along to youth group one night, Mark and myself, and it was just a normal night. And my youth pastor says at the end of the night, hey, Marco, do you mind if we pray for your leg? And he said, sure. And the youth pastor said, Murray, Mark, go and pray for him. And I didn't know what I was doing and neither did Mark, but I, I went down and I put my hand on his leg and just said, in the name of Jesus, pray you'd heal his leg. I mean, then I walked away. I said, let's go home. In fact, no, we went to the kebab caravan on the way home. It's in Wollongong. 
The weekend passed. Monday morning art class is my first period and I sit next to Marco at the table, waiting for him at the table. He wasn't there, he was late. And my heart's pumping. You've got to understand, 18 months of climbing a hill in the morning, listening to Rocky, reading my word, praying for my school, praying that God would influence my Colossi. And all of a sudden, I see this afro around the corner. And Marco walking towards me with no crutches, no cast on his leg. And he sits down with a big grin on his face. And, and uh, my heart was just beating a million miles an hour. I said, what happened? He, called me, he calls me Con. That was my nickname in high school. He says, Con, when you and Mark prayed for me, I went home that night and something felt different. I wasn't feeling any pain. It didn't feel broken. So on Saturday morning, I begged my mum to take me back to the doctor. He said that was a fight in itself. Mum took him back to the hospital and it just so happened the same doctor was on that, ta- that day. That was the day that he got the cast on. And they got into a big argument and said, Marco, there, there is no possible way. Here's the old x-ray. Your leg is broken. You have a minimum of six weeks for this to heal. And Marco begged him and said, I'm not going home until you re-x-ray my leg. So the doctor finally re-x-rays his leg, comes out of the x-ray room with the x-ray scratch in his head, holds up the old one with a clean break, has the new one with no fracture, nothing, totally healed, broken leg. And the doctor was dumbfounded. You see, when you're in Colossae, in a world where people don't know who Jesus is or don't want to recognize that he is the Son of God, that he is the creator of the universe, they just want to see him as someone from history. The facts are right now that you have a broken leg, Marco, and science says it's going to take six to eight weeks to heal. But yet, because a young man walked up a hill every single day and sat at a table and prayed a prayer, asked God to move through my school, all of a sudden God works a miracle. And from that moment, word spread through the school. And Marco began to share with everyone what Jesus had done with him. I didn't even have to open my mouth. It was all done. It was so funny. He's saying, yeah, Murray and Mark healed me. That was what he was telling everybody. I didn't care what was coming out of his mouth. All I know is God began to move through my school. We had these little Bibles then with little tracts that we were giving out to everyone. The most popular people in my school were coming up saying, Murray, can we have one of your Bibles? So we'd hand out these Bibles and at the back of it, it was the book of John. And at the back of it, there's a way that you lead someone to Christ. And I'd give them the Bible, they'd come back three days later. I'd go, that was amazing. I said, did you do the thing at the very end? They said, we did. I had about 15 people come back and say, we did that. God began to move through my school like nothing else, handing out these things, leading people to Christ. They started coming to youth group. We, we actually started a youth group in my school, my Colossi. You know, I led about 17 of my friends to the Lord in my final six months of high school. I had terrible marks and terrible grades, but I led 17 people to Christ. You know, I left that school disappointed. 
Because you've got to understand, every morning I got up and went and sat at the table. I had a dream. I had a vision that God would just come and touch my school. There'd be a revival that takes place. And that everyone would come to Christ, including the teachers. But 17, I had to settle with. And I was heartbroken. I went on, got married, had children, ended up moving to Perth. And uh, we'd come back at Christmas time to visit uh, family and friends. And I remember walking down the main street of, of Wollongong, Crown Central. And there was a guy that was older than me. He was about five years older that used to go to Lake Illawarra High School, sees me in the distance, comes running and grabs me by the shirt like that, passionate. His name was Laurel. He said, Murray, have you heard about Lake Illawarra High School? I said, no, no, tell me, what happened? There's a church in Wollongong that wanted to teach scripture and they went to every government school in Canberra and every government school said there is no way you are teaching scripture in our school. And their last resort was to travel 25 minutes to go to Lake Illawarra High School. And they got accepted to come and teach scripture in that school. He said, Murray, you don't understand. They have led hundreds of young people to Christ in that school, in the classroom. On a Sunday morning, they're picking up 90 kids and busing them in from the school to go to church. And he said, it's because of Mount Warrigal. Just a young guy took Paul's advice. Instead of move to Tasmania and start a cult, I decided to pray. I decided to pray for my Colossi. I decided to pray that God would influence them, the people, more than they would influence me. In fact, I thank God for being in a school that not one person was a Christian because it helped make me who I am. It helped develop my faith in God more. No matter what environment you're in, whether a university, whether a workplace, whether a family that don't know Christ, don't let that dictate your faith. Don't let that water down who Jesus Christ really is, but allow that to become the pressure cooker to work out who he really is in your life. I'm going to wrap it up just now. I'm going to pray with you, but I'm hoping you got something out of my story. But it doesn't stop there. Mark Cotter, the guy that had the, the, uh, the dreadlocks, grew up in a pink housing commission house, came to school carrying eight sandwiches in a plastic bag, moves to Sydney and meets a young lady. She just happens to be a pastor at a church. Mark Cotter becomes a pastor. The church grows and expands and he has 550 young people in his Bible studies every week. Mark Cotter. Where did it start? It started at a table. It started because one young person decided to sit down and pray for his Colossae. And the story goes further. We put that last photo up, please, of the three, three people. That's Mark and his beautiful wife, Ellie. He's my best mate. They get offered a job and a position in the largest church in America, running one of the largest youth ministries in all of the world. Mark Cotter grew up in a pink house, housing commission, had nothing going for him. And yet, one young man 
who decides to sit at a table and read his word and pray, wants to influence a school of thousands, a thousand people, all of a sudden the impact grows to more than just a thousand people but goes to the nations and touches thousands upon thousands of young people. I'm just going to invite, uh, would you kindly come um, play something in the background as I pray? Here's my conclusion to make sense of me sharing my story with you. Paul says this to the Colossians church that begin to water down their faith, that begin to try and take away who Jesus Christ really is and the authority that he has in their life. He says this, Colossians chapter 4 verse 2, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open the doors of our message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity and let your conversations always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. My challenge to you today as I ask you, would you kindly just stand with me? I just want to be able to pray with you. I want to ask you a question. What is your Colossi? What is the world that you live in that tries to water down your faith? You could be here tonight and you say, well, I guess that's my university. Some might say, well, I guess that's my family. I'm the only Christian in all of my family. Some might say it's my workplace. Some might say it's the people that I hang out with is my Colossi. I want you to identify that right now. What is your Colossi in your world right now? And my challenge out of everything tonight is Paul encourages us to pray for the people in our Colossi. My challenge for you this week is find a table. What I mean by that, your table might be different to my table. Your table might be on the way to work in the car that you put a worship track on and you begin to pray for those around you. Your table might be that turn off your phone, get off the internet, Pick up your Bible before you go to bed at night. Let that become your table. I'll promise you this. I promise you this. If you seek Him and you make time for Him, He will meet you where you're at. And not only will He meet you where you're at, He will impact your world. He left heaven. All the, all the beauty and splendor and worship and majesty, Jesus Christ left His throne on high to come down to a world that despised Him and hated Him. He's already paved the way. We just got to give Him room to move now. Would you kindly close your eyes? If you're here tonight, 
And you might say, Murray, your message sucks. Doesn't make sense. Why don't you open the Bible more or, or tell more about the scriptures? Or And that's fine. You can think like that. But I just know that seeds were planted in people's hearts here tonight. I want you to think of your Colossae and think, now I want you to picture what it would look like if people came to Christ, how it would change. It can happen. If my story has impacted you in any way, and you say, Murray, I just want to devote myself to prayer like Paul is telling me to do. Not allow my world to influence my walk with Christ any longer. If that is you and why everyone has their eyes closed, I just want you out of a sign to God and I've got my eyes closed too. Just raise your hands. Allow me to pray for you. Allow me to pray that seed that started with me back at the table 20-something years ago. Allow that prayer just to flow into your life. Father, tonight we we came around your table, communion tonight. We remembered what you did, that you died on the cross, your body that was broken, your blood that was shed, that we could come into a right relationship with you. That as we accept you, you no longer, Lord, just see us as slaves, but we are known as your sons and your daughters. Father, I thank you that you live within us and you are the hope of humanity. You are the hope of mankind. And we have a story to tell. We want to share you, Lord, to this world. I pray for those that have their hands raised, Lord, as a sign to you, Lord, that this week that you would touch them, that you would help them to find a table, to set time aside, to sit down and spend time with the creator of the universe. Pray over this church, Lord God. As I've only been here a few months, but I pray over this church, that this church would develop in their life of prayer that they would touch heaven, Father God, that we wouldn't just rock up on a Sunday or go to our life comms and have a great time, which is all part of it, Lord. But Lord, we want to see heaven come to earth. We want to see our worlds change. We want to see our family members come to know you. So move on our hearts tonight, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.